Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers who want to simplify and speed up their custom platform development. Visit timesys.com today for access to our podcast archives. Welcome back. Uh, this is Maciej Harash here, and uh, I'm Sally. here with Gene. Yeah. Uh, we're going to continue today um, our last episode's topic of uh, what does it take to port Linux mm-hmm. kernel to mm-hmm. a custom or slightly changed um platform yeah um and uh, what are the different steps that you have to consider or pay attention to when you when you do that move yeah and well for continuity's sake right you know last time we talked about getting your environment set up where you get things and and we said we won't spend any time there i know we got off the track and we received several emails along the lines of don't ever get off track like that again and so we're gonna try to stay a little bit better on track this time and uh we actually have a a decent amount of material to cover uh, for our time allotment um, so let's might as well you know dig in now. Yeah, well, I didn't think that we uh, made too many digressions last time, but that's okay. Uh, w- one point I wanted to make before we dive into the topic is that uh, again, we I don't think that we'll be able to cover um, everything today. Um, yeah. We will focus today about well, we'll focus on primarily um, different steps uh, or parts of the Linux kernel that you have to pay attention to. Sure. But we're not going to explore in detail um, writing a new device driver or um, how you construct or forward port a device driver. Yeah, I just don't... I agree there's probably no way we could actually talk about that in, uh, in time. I think this is a potentially a very interesting topic to, to our audience. So, uh, again, uh, shoot us an email if, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think it, it is a an interesting topic so perhaps the, the next uh subject that we'll cover is exactly that yeah so today i think we're going to stick mostly on the arm platform it's, we're going to talk about doing some corn, kernel porting work and uh when we talk about it we're going to be talking with respect to arm because you know uh, this kind of work is very machine dependent processor mm-hmm. architecture dependent and what particular processor you're using means you'll be doing you know, slightly different or greatly different things. And so one of the one of our discussion points, believe it or not, we planned for these. So when we were planning out our, our podcast, we were trying to figure out what uh, processor we would talk, what architecture. So we're going to stick with ARM. Uh, so if you're, if you're a big uh, PowerPC uh, guy and you start diving in and looking around for things that we talked about and, and you don't see them, um, uh, that's probably more of an artifact of the architecture uh, mm-hmm. Rather than us, you know, messing things up, but I wouldn't count us messing things up out. But I just, uh, it mm-hmm. is it is very architecture dependent. So I know one of the things we want to talk about a little bit, and not not a whole bunch bun time, but we do want to talk a little bit about kernel booting, just in general. Because when you talk yeah. about porting a kernel, what you're really talking about doing is uh, configuration work in the startup code that runs. Uh, before the kernel proper starts. Yeah, I agree. So let's let's spend a few minutes um, and let's refresh uh, what are the different phases um, of uh, during the kernel boot up that um, kernel goes through. And sure. Then we can perhaps uh, dive into how that translates into what you have to change and um, uh, which parts you can kind of like leave unchanged. Yeah, and I guess the, the, the other note is that you know a lot of times when folks talk about porting Linux. Or changing Linux, uh, sometimes this operation isn't necessary at all, right? I mean, if there's if it's kernel configuration you're doing, that's a, quite a little bit of a different topic than we're going to talk about. If you're 
you know, getting a, some sort of new ARM processor or some, I guess, cause we're talking about ARM, right? So if you need some sort of new ARM processor that is, um, you know, a different as, as say from a licensee that did some changes to the processor core itself. Mm-hmm. This, that's the kind of work we're talking about this time around. And that's why it matters so much. Right. Uh, what, cause one of the things we want to make sure is we weren't scaring folks off that, you know, if you have a Atmel processor or an XCL processor and you want to change one or two things with respect to how the processor is configured, you don't have to necessarily do this, right? right. This is more along the lines of, Hey, I have a, uh, I have a, a licensee here that has a new processor that, done, that has done things in a different way, and I need to get Linux running up on that target. I, I just want to differentiate because yeah. well, those well, two things are confabulated. And I, just wanna... I think that during the last episode, we talked about the fact that if you introduce a completely new processor to a Linux kernel, mm-hmm. the amount of work that you have to um, well go through to add support for Entirely new architecture, entirely new. Well, maybe not architecture, but yeah. uh, processor in that architecture is is um, yeah, way phenomenal. too much complex uh, for for this podcast to cover that. But mm-hmm. uh, we, as you said, definitely are going to focus on what does it take to uh, adopt a um, specific processor for your new project, mm-hmm. uh, where you take most of the design. Sure. Um, from the reference platform. Yeah. So if you base your uh, final product on a reference board from a from a semi vendor, mm-hmm. that's that's exactly the, the approach that we're going to take. Um, yeah, today. and that's what five nines of the audience yeah. will be doing, right? So it's not it's it's not as though you'll be out there doing a full port for. So day. that was a bit of a digression, but let's yeah. go back to um, um, what you've mentioned just yeah. a, a minute ago. What what is it that kernel executes? Um, and steps as yeah. it boots up. Yeah, so let's, let's talk, talk about, about this. So things start with first your bootloader runs. Yeah, what's the print? So in this particular implementation, some implementations it's slightly different, but let's just we'll stick with this theoretical implementation. Right, but bootloader is not attached to the Linux kernel. It's, Correct. It's pre Linux kernel. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So what happens is is that the processor starts up, and usually hard coded into the processor, right, is some instructions that say go to this address in memory and begin running, right, and that pulls in. You know, that, and that address of memory that it runs is the bootloader. Mm-hmm. And that bit of bootloader code uh, can be very sophisticated. And that's just if you use something like uh, Red Boot or, mm-hmm. I guess, for a different architectures, uh, U-Boot, right? So there's different yeah. different systems. But the bootloader's responsibility is to do enough initialization so that it can load the kernel into memory and set the instruction pointer to the beginning of kernel and and then in essence go away. Uh, bootloaders themselves are their own little mini operating systems because they have managed some devices, they manage a little bit of memory for you. So you can think of it as a tiny operating system if it's a sophisticated bootloader. Well, you want to have um, some of the devices initialized when you start working with the board, right? So you mm-hmm. want to have a serial console mm-hmm. so you can really control the target. Yeah. Um, and you also want to have some sort of a connection that will allow you to get a Linux kernel across um, either a serial connection or Ethernet connection to then um, load it to memory exactly. and then jumpstart the... Exactly. So the bootloader you know, you know, winds up and says, okay, my job, somewhere stored in a fi- uh, stored on the flash, right? Um, it, or compiled directly into the bootloader, depending on how your bootloader is set up, it says, okay, I know I'm supposed to go to here, mm-hmm. interact with this device, put the kernel at this point, space and memory start filling upward um, and 
you know, you know, start the kernel hoof, begin filling upwards, set my instruction pointer to this address, and say go. Mm-hmm. And at that point, uh, you're beginning to execute Linux uh, sometimes, right? A lot of boards are set up, or a lot of Linux implementations are set up such that the kernel is compressed. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that runs is actually a little decompression program. And compiled into the decompression program is where it should put the kernel once it's decompressed. So the decompression program, typically gzip, right, uh, 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 takes some chunk of memory, it gets a beginning and ending address, runs through that chunk of memory, and expands the kernel. Um, Whenever you see that, you know, kernel is booting or decompressing kernel, that's what's happening. And at that point, it then looks for, or it then begins running code, um, or pardon me, it resets the instruction pointer, right, and then begins running code. And that's typically the code that's inside of the architecture-specific kernel startup. Mm-hmm. And that's where we'll sort of pick the story up. Depending upon your platform, I, I know normally the file for the architecture I work, the file is, you know, head.s, right? And that's the you know, first bits of code. And you'll, you'll actually notice when the kernel links, right, it'll, you know, it'll set things up so that links in first. And that code begins running. And uh, from then on, it's, you know, how it was compiled and what symlinks were set up during the kernel compilation, what files are copied in the right place as to, to what runs. Uh, we'll talk about, and that's, that's where we're going to spend time digging in there, right? And then, you know, after that finish run, finishes running, kernel jumps into kernel start. Uh, matter of fact, there's actually a bit of code in there that says, and, and all these architecture-specific things that says, hey, go to kernel start because, you, you know, I'm now mm-hmm. finished my setup phase. Yep. And then the higher level start starts running. So, and, you know, you see things appear on your monitor or whatever. So let's what, what, dig in. What is high level? Ah, good point. So a high level at this point means um, I'm going to start configuring my devices. Uh, I'm going to you know, set up a serial device. I'm going to, you know, map all my interrupts, you know, my interrupt handler. Yeah, in. okay. I'm going to get my, you know, console up and running, um, uh, you know, start my memory, memory manager, start up all my kernel threads right. that do who knows what else. So that's where you will start. Um, seeing messages on on your console, yeah, for the kernel. Yeah. yeah, so we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what happens in that in that section before you hit kernel start. Um, kernel by the time kernel start happens, most of the architecture specific initialization should be completed. Yeah, Does it sound like a okay. Safe? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so uh, we kind of touched upon um, that already, but um, when you look at the Linux kernel source tree. Uh, you'll see it organized um, in a certain way. Yeah. Um, for for the purpose of our today's podcast, uh, I want to mention actually a subdirectory at, um, that's called architecture, A-R-C-H, ARC. And under that subdirectory, you'll find different architecture-specific folders. Mm-hmm. Uh, each folder holds architecture-specific code, but it also holds uh, processor-specific uh, code. Yeah, sort of mishmashed in there. Yeah, so... Uh, when you when you kind of like look at where to start, um, looking for um, your board specific code, that's most likely what you would want to go and uh, just browse through that directory to just familiarize yourself with uh, what are the files that that you have at hand that mm-hmm. you can modify. Because the the point of this exercise is that you don't want to start um, with a fresh file. You know, uh, start. Uh, typing in what includes and everything, you know, 
what you want to do is you want to leverage development that's been done um, in the open source community and, and perhaps by other um, developers uh, for the reference board. You want to uh, take that architecture-specific code and reuse it um, in as much portion as you as you can. Yeah. Um, so if you know that, for example, you you have I'm going to use again um, an Atma or um, an IXP processor as an example. Mm-hmm. If if you if you know that um, your final solution is going to utilize that processor, and um, your board itself uh, also includes some of the onboard peripherals that you would find on the reference board, mm-hmm. um, what you would normally do is you would um, go into architecture specific um, subdirectories. Oh yeah, um, and there you would find um, a set of subdirectories under ARM you would find a set of subdirectories that start with uh, Mac, right? Mm-hmm. And Mac hyphen, then, then actual name of a um, processor or system that, that you um, are working with. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, IXP4XX. Yeah. Um, when you open that subdirectory, you would find a lot of files that are responsible for some of the initialization steps. Yes. So that's more or less the the structure of directories that you would browse through. Uh, another important area in the kernel source tree is the include subdirectories, right? So it starts at the top level, goes includes um, ASM um, hyphen specific architecture, and there okay. you would find a lot of um, a lot of definitions. Um, and header files that are yeah. specific to the platform that you work with. Uh, so let, let's talk about um, step by step process that uh, that we're that we're looking at here. Sure. Right. So um, the first step would be to uh, register the machine that sh- that you work with. Mm-hmm. Um, then you uh, potentially might want to. Um, well, talk to the bootloader because at that time, um, well, the bootloader does not ha- have a control over a processor, but you might still be able to um, take advantage of some of the values that have been preset by but by, by bootloader. Yeah, there's a bit of a free, yeah, there's a bit of a free for all there because you know the the kernel started up it you know the the memory that the bootloader occupied. If you think of the again, you have to. Close your eyes and picture the heap, right? So you're you're, you're you know consuming memory upward on the heap, um, unless you do something really bad, like set your kernel on pack address to something really low. But at that point, you'll be able to get an address that points backward to some amount of memory because memory memory management hasn't started yet. So everything right. is this, still this big flat address space. Yeah. And so the physical, so the address you get is actually a physical address right. at that point. So the bootloader will you know leave some cookie crumbs for you and leave a couple. Um, it'll either leave uh, registers initialized with certain addresses, so you can then go backward and look to see where the memory is kept, uh, or by convention, it's it's stored in a different spot. And that's where you sort of swipe those kernel parameters. Yeah. Uh, I remember I went through a... I, just talk, but I, I, I went through a, a little bit of an odyssey because I did not understand exactly how the, the kernel mm-hmm. parameters got from the bootloader to the... I, yeah. Right. And so it's really it's just an, it's either an address stored in a register, depending yeah. on implementation, mm-hmm. or some fixed address, which is you know not touchy. Everyone agrees not to mess with this area, and it's a null terminated string. It's just copied right out yeah. of there. So we actually already dove into that particular. I'm sorry. Point. No, yeah. that's okay. That's okay. And then so the, go, go ahead. Well, 
Jeez, now I feel bad about going ahead. <laughs> yeah, like um, you do. I can't believe you. <laughs> yeah, um, and then and then you know we can get into then we'll talk about our, like early kernel initialization mm-hmm. and um, you know device mapping and setting up your IRQs and that good stuff. Well, I think that the device mapping is going to be important um, for this podcast because that's the area where you you most likely would have to touch if you have a different subset of uh, devices on your card or if they are connected or mapped to um, on a board differently. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it, and there's some there's some interesting stuff there. And I know you do probably do a better job of talking about that. Than uh, we'll see. I somehow managed to produce crashes whenever. I so uh, we'll finish that uh, podcast talking about um, uh, well device drivers and um, a major subsystems initialization. Yeah. yeah, but for the most part, I mean, when your device drivers start, I mean, you're way, you're way, way, way past. You know, yeah, you, you've you've succeeded by that point. So if you got that far, you're doing okay. <laughs> well, but it's a uh, it's a point at which you would um, start modifying kernels if you add new device drivers, or if you want to uh, you want to modify device drivers for um, I don't know performance or yeah. adopt third. Um, Third-party device drivers. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like by that point, your your boss understands what you're doing, right? So, so let's talk about machine registration. Yeah. Um, why is it important, and what does it mean? Well, okay. So uh, each machine has a unique numerical um, identifier mm-hmm. that allows the kernel to uh, configure certain pieces of a uh, kernel code. Yeah. Um, for for that processor or machine. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, typically stored in one file that, for Ar- in, ARM, in case of ARM architecture, yeah. it sits under Arc ARM uh, tools, and I believe Mac types is the name of the file. Yeah, MACHS types. Yeah. Uh, if you open it up, you will see that it's a pretty lengthy file, but it has a, a lot, a lot of um, different machine um, machine IDs there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah, there's a cano- I know there's a canonical location for that. I think there's a website or whatever if you want to duke it out over your machine ID. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, once you have, well, in most cases, where if you if you leverage work done for a reference platform, you won't have to um, play too much with machine IDs. You can um, simply leave the machine ID that's there if if. Uh, in most cases, you're going to um, just change the memory map or um, add the add new device drivers. But if your board is um, entirely different from a reference platform, mm-hmm. if you put um, all the different peripherals around the processor that are not um, present on a reference board or in any Linux implementation, mm-hmm. then you might consider adding a new machine ID. Yeah, and as a you know as a board vendor. I mean, you may make enough changes to the kernel where, because what's happened is, is later on that's used by the kernel mm-hmm. to say, hey, you know, what board is this? Am I this board? Can mm-hmm. I run on this board? Because, yeah. and so, uh, you know, if you're a you know, board vendor, you may have done enough changes to the kernel where you want to stop the you want to stop it from running if it's not running on on a certain because even though the board and architecture and everything matches, you just 
you know, bad things can happen. You'd rather not have it crash. You'd just rather have it stop in a controlled manner. Well, and at this point, actually, what comes into play is also the connection to the um, bootloader. Oh, yeah. Um, because bootloader yeah, can stick that. the value for the machine ID in certain register. Yeah. So when you start booting Linux kernel, um, Linux kernel can check for that value. Mm-hmm. And depending on the value of that register, it would execute a different initialization code for a different machine. Um, yeah. So uh, one way of um, adopting that me- mechanism in, uh, in a Linux kernel is actually to allow one binary Linux kernel to run on multiple um, multiple boards. Yeah. Um, and the way it would work is depending on machine ID that that's passed on by uh, bootloader to the kernel. Um, that same binary would execute different initialization code. So um, it, it's a very handy mechanism yeah. um, if, if you plan on supporting multiple um, multiple designs with the same binary kernel image. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I looked at it more on the, the, oh, the, you know, make sure it doesn't crash really bad. But yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's, yeah. Um, and I think that you've already covered... Um, the the purpose of a bootloader in a, in a system and mm-hmm. um, how the magic happens between the bootloader and um, the Linux kernel. Yeah, I didn't really mean to. I <laughs> I really didn't mean to. But I guess you, what is good. The, That's good. No, but what is that? I guess there's a cover. So ARM, I think, is uh, there's a certain register. I mean, it it depends on the device, and and I think it's in. If you look in the documentation directory, mm-hmm. the documentation directory will tell you you know what registers you need to put the pointers in. Right, um, and I think for ARM, it's like R one is the machine ID, and then in the next register, there's a pointer to the structure that says, "Hey, this is where all of the different bits of data reside," and that's architecture specific too. Yes, um, it's architecture specific as to what that data structure looks like. But you you, you fetch, basically fetch the address, right, and you know cast a, cast a pointer, mm-hmm. and voila, you have your data. Yeah. Um. So assuming that you don't have to touch that part of the Linux kernel, uh, let's move to the next um, area that we can discuss a bit more, is which is um, uh, a more detailed look at um, directory structure that is specific to uh, each architecture. Okay. So and we're going to pick on ARM. I mean, yeah. not pick on ARM, but good, good point. Uh, yeah, we'll stick with ARM because I know it's I know it's different for x86 and PowerPC and. Who knows what's happening over there on Spark or something like? Because I, I that, that those are play, you know I've looked at MIPS whatever else, but you know once you start getting yeah. on the different non-embedded operating systems, I, I would be completely lost. Well, so um, uh, those subdirectories are well MM, which is um, memory management mm-hmm. uh, dependent code, mm-hmm. right? Where you would find a lot of uh, code that's responsible for uh, initializing the cache. Um, Handling um, direct memory access, initialization sure. of of um, that. Um, what else is there? Um, I think if you generate a page fault, that's what the code is. Yeah, I think so. But I, I'm not sure. Um, well, and uh, TLB uh, initializations as well, right? For yeah. a specific architecture. Yeah. Yeah. What's TLB stand for? Uh, I think you told me right before. Um, oh, did I? I can't. Wait yeah. a Go ahead. No, it's translation translation look aside buffer, right? That's it. So that's whenever it does memory management. So like a little, little cache it holds on to. So you can do that more efficiently. Yeah, for acceleration of uh, memory management. Was, it's, uh, you know. Five minutes ago, you should have remembered. Well, 
remember that. When you work with the Linux kernel code, well, I apologize. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but when you work with the Linux kernel code, you never remember all those long um, exact definitions. Um, yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, acronyms yeah. there. Okay, so uh, kernel. Uh, kernel subdirectory um, holds um, the primary initialization code for um, the kernel setup. Mm-hmm. Different, um, I would say, uh, System call handlers, um, definitions, yep. and different APIs. Yep. Um, and I believe that under that kernel, you'll have um, an, a lot of assembly code, like the head.s. Oh, where, yeah. Where the actual entry to the um, kernel-specific initialization really happens. Yep, that's where it is. Uh, and I think, it's, yeah, that's where you'll find all that, you know, pre-kernel stuff. And I think whenever you do a syscall, like the, the code the code that actually manages the syscall mm-hmm. so that it goes to the right spot and you know, so the number you know syscall number comes in and it goes to some that's all handled in there uh, and you know in general that's not touched right I and mean, yeah. if you're doing stays the same yeah. right I mean you can that untouched yeah yeah uh, there's no there's not a lot of changes you have to do in there right I can't imagine what you would change in fact so well but if you do actually a, a bit of development mm-hmm. um, at your um, device driver level, let's say. Um, there are some other subdirectories where you might find some of the um, yeah. code hand, handy. Um, one of those subdirectories is lib subdirectory. Yes. And um, we were talking right before the podcast mm-hmm. about uh, the types of uh, functions that you would find um, there. Right? That's where all the gooders are, right? That's where you yeah. have what string handling and string handling's cousin, right? Memory, you know, the basically mem move, mem copy, so, IO operations. Yeah, I, I think it's where the I think it's where the low level. Yeah, that's yeah. where interrupts are dispatched out of that. That's right. So this is where the meat of uh of a lot of your changes are probably be coming in. You have to yeah. you know fiddle around with the with the helper functions here if you have specific interrupt handling or pardon me, dispatching. Yeah. At this point it's dispatching because of nothing and or if you have something very particular you're doing with respect to DMA yeah. uh, with direct memory access. It it goes in here. Absolutely. Um so then there's a, a whole bunch of um, folders that start with Mac, mm-hmm. Mac um, dash um, specific uh, machine type or machine definition. Right. Uh, it might be PXA, it might be um, Atmos, it might be sure. um, IXPs. Um, but that's the, the place where machine type specific code um, would reside. That, sure. That's, I would imagine that uh in many cases this is the subfolder where you would um modify at least one file oh yeah so i mean if you need to set up you know certain memory mappings so you can get in touch with your ethernet phi you know if you, you know, so you can make that phi p you know run for you that's what's going to happen and i think we were looking at this too uh for because i i hate to leave the the two four crowd out right but mm-hmm. i know in two in 2.4, because there are a lot of folks that still do, I don't know, yeah. a lot of folks that still do work on 2.4, right? And, you know, Good point. Yeah. And prefer that. But I think that was called, that was called um, uh, Arch Dash yes. Machine, right? Yeah. So it's slightly different between 2.4 and 2.6. There was and this th- change, yeah. And I was never sure about, because we even dug around, and I'm never sure why they changed that, right? <laughs> uh, it just seemed like it would be a semantic me. thing. Yeah, it just seemed <laughs> to be a semantic thing. Well, I think that if you if you have a lot of Arc yeah. Arm arc at the end of a day. Yeah, I mean, you can be confused as to where where you are in a kernel kernel structure. So um, maybe that I, might I, be one of the reasons. Yeah. No, no attention to criticism. Not not a criticism. It's just 
uh, I was just because I, you know, when I had done this, a lot of this, I was on two four, right? So two, two, so like, what? It's different. Yeah. So let's talk about the early initialization code mm-hmm. um, because um, this is where when the Linux kernel um, has to set up certain things mm-hmm. uh, in order for you to uh, be able to monitor the um, Linux kernel execution. So um, for sure, if you want to track the um, boot up process, mm-hmm. you want to have the um, serial console um, ready. And at that time, you oh, don't yeah. have a virtual memory set up yet. So whatever allocations happen, happen on the physical memory. Yes. Uh, but there are a couple of, um, uh, well, codes that, or um, lines of code that mm-hmm. are being executed there that might be hardware specific. If, if you're changing um, the serial port uh, on your particular card, yeah. you should take a look at um, that early initialization code for early serial console initialization. Yes. Um, I think that it sits primarily in, well, there's there's some of that initialization code sitting in an include subdirectory. Yes. Under yeah. ASM ARM and then architecture machine specific mm-hmm. um, subdirectory. Yeah, and it's 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 really primitive. I mean, the, the code that's out there is, it, it's uh, uh, there's basically a clear to send, right? You know, first there's clear to send, and then uh, a character or time write. And mm-hmm. there's a wrapper that goes around that, right? That does um, oh, what is it called? Put string, right? Something like that. P, put yeah. put put str. Put string. Yeah. So what put string does? It really defers and says, okay, do I have clear to send? Yeah. Drop a character. Clear to send. Drop a character. Clear right. to send. Drop a character. And it it just it follows that loop. Um, uh, most of anything else, you have to make sure you have the right configuration for that for that device, uh, and make sure that's up and running. Yeah. And there's no ri- the other thing too is unlike the other, there's no ring buffer at this point or anything. It, right. It's it serializes on the prints. Yeah. Um, um, I, I'm not sure if there's any other device that you would have to initialize at that stage, unless you want to track um, output from um, booting over Ethernet and definitely you would need to initialize the file correctly it it's more complex so in most of oh, the designs yeah. that that i've seen uh people were simply getting serial um to to do that job yeah and i and i think is that uh, maybe i I'm, I'm i think i'm off in the woods but is that the same is that the same thing that's used to get kgdb running i don't think so no, no, I don't think so. Yeah, is it? It's a different because KGDB is kernel. St- that's I mean, that's that's running by kernel start, and yeah. so you actually have the you have the TTY at that point, right? You have that's the right. device. So that's, okay, never mind. I just, I'm sorry. Um. So um, we were talking a bit about um, machine detection, mm-hmm. right? And um, well, in a code um, after the initialization of a serial. What happens is the Linux kernel checks for um, processor ID, okay. right? And uh, if it finds the processor ID, um, it calls um, the function associated with that processor. And that function is, in most cases, um, uh, I believe, placed under arc arm um, memory management unit and then um well maybe i'm wrong 
we just think right now. <laughs> we, we should have prepared better for, for yeah, a little terminal because there, there's quite a lot of uh, files right now. But in it should fall in the proc structure. info, right? I mean, if yeah. you, if you do a if you do a find, right? I forgot. So it, it lives in proc info h. That I'm sure, right? Yeah. I think that's underneath the. Uh, 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 Arch arm, right? It's, it goes arch arm include something, right? And I did mention earlier actually where that machine or CPU ID sits. Um, it's it's in Mac types um, under specific um, well architecture mm-hmm. arm uh, types, I believe subdirectory. Um, but anyways, if the machine is identified and a, a machine specific setup code is being called, mm-hmm. um, and again, if you don't um, if you're using a processor exactly the way it, w- it it comes on a reference platform and a lot of onboard peripherals are also present on your custom design, mm-hmm. um, you probably won't have to touch too much of the um, processor slash um, architecture-specific initialization code. Okay. Um, so... Um, What's the next step? We talked about processor and architecture-specific initialization, uh, machine detection. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a nice structure that that sits um, um, in that arc, arc arm tool Mac types. Um, well, no, that's where the definitions sit alone. But um, mm-hmm. you see, I'm, I'm getting actually confused with PowerPC right now. Oh, yeah. But anyways, there's the machine start. Um, structure that defines um, information like who is a maintainer of uh, that specific machine or Linux kernel mm-hmm. code for that machine. It defines um, um, well pointers to um, mappings and um, interrupt um, map. Uh, it also defines um, boot vector. Um, and uh, the name of the um, routine that is responsible for machine initialization. Yeah, because the important thing to get the, your head around, and I, I always have trouble getting your head around this, right? So all these routines, they live in some assembler file, right? Mm-hmm. And they're given an address, right? They have a label, because you know how you somewhere just hey, gives us a label, whatever. Yeah. And then the kernel will roll through there and say, okay, I'm initializing this machine. And then it pulls out that structure, and it goes through each of the structures and it goes through that structure, and that's how it figures out what address, basically, to, to, to point, you know, how to do the call. Because mm-hmm. it's one of the things that perpetually confuse me it, for the system. is like, okay, so I have all these assembler functions. They all have all these different entry points. I have as much independence as, as to what I can call these entry points as I want. But until you go in and populate that, 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 um, that machine, what do they call it, the machine descriptor, yeah. that's how it knows what to call inside of those assembler routines. Right. Because it, if you look through, you can link in a couple different machines at a time if you want, and yeah. it won't cli- – you know, you can make mistakes like that, but it's that machine descriptor file that says, okay, for – you because know, the, the number of functions you perform are uniform, right? You're always mm-hmm. going to set up your memory map. You're always going to set up your mm-hmm. um, IQ initialization. You're always going to set up how that, that structure is what the kernel uses in order to get the addresses of the things to call. Well, so that, that's definitely something that you would have to implement for your um, custom platform because yeah. um, most likely you will have a different um, 
memory mapping, perhaps a different uh, yeah. interrupt scheme. Sure. Um, so uh, if if that's the case, uh, you definitely would want to um, provide your own implementation of um, the initialization code for for your platform. So, yeah. and that and that's where you can even do things like so. You're talking about and you brought up earlier. It's like for the first thing you do is copy. Mm. Sounds right. the first thing you do is you copy what someone else did. Right? Yes. Uh, not necessarily make a physical copy, but you know use what's there. And what's neat about this file is that. You can say, okay, if my, you know, um, IO mapping is the same as the stock, yeah. you know, X scale board, you can just call that function and let it do all its work. You don't have to make a copy of it or anything. But yeah. then, if you're doing something very, very, very particular with, you know, how the boot parameters are handled, or you know, you know, the the machine initialization function, then that's where you can go to make that change. Mm-hmm. It's it's like, you know, V-table. So I'm an O guy. It's like, oh, man, they did a V-table, right? And so that's yeah. – you have more control over what happens. So um, another aspect that we actually talked about briefly here um, because one of the functions that you would call in that machine start code mm-hmm. is um, how you map your devices. Sure. Uh, but then also how you um, map your interrupts. Uh-huh. Interrupts are usually stored, um, well, the definitions and the numbers are stored inside include file under architecture-specific RQS um, header file. Mm -hmm. And it's up to a user how those interrupts are ordered. You mean, well, programmer, right? Use the kernel, uh, they're out of it. How how the numbering is done. Yeah, got it. Um, So if you are attaching a new device or Mm -hmm. changed um, how devices are connected to the processor, Mm -hmm. uh, you might want to um, uh, reshuffle that uh, interrupt uh, map so that, um, well, if interrupt one is connected on, well, this is actually just Uh theoretical because I don't think that interrupt one would. That's what, yeah. uh, If one of your interrupts um, is connected to, um, I don't know, a a, a keyboard mm-hmm. or some sort of uh, input device, mm-hmm. um, and it's a different interrupt that's servicing that input on the reference board. Yeah, you you know might want to change slightly the the, the numbering just to make some similar well have some similarities with the reference board so it's not confusing to you when you review the code in a few months. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but then um, I guess we talked also about um, memory map. I mean, um, where f- well, physical memory map, um, mm-hmm. where you define where different, for example, where your PCI space is, yeah. um, how different devices uh, talk to the processor. This information usually, um, uh, well, is available to you because um, that's part of the hardware design. Mm-hmm. When you design your hardware, when you do connections between um, different peripherals on a card, that's where where you make those decisions as mm-hmm. to um, what are the buses that interconnect the uh, different peripherals. Yeah. Um, and then based on that and based on the amount of memory that you have available, you can um, redefine the memory map. Again, that's something that I would suggest you um, 
you take from uh, an already existing memory map definition yeah and look at what devices are present on a reference board mm-hmm. and how that matches um to the memory map in in in, a, in an operating system in linux yeah and then try to um um make appropriate adjustment um relative to your uh, to your custom hardware yeah 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 and then you do that i think the fi- you have to fish around well you should fish around but it's vmalloc.h, right? That's yeah. I always do, you know, file, you know, find.vmalloc.h under Arch. And, and, it, and, um, and I believe it's under ASM ARM. Um, yeah, there's actually a, an architecture-specific um, file that um, holds all those definitions. You can very quickly actually find it by just uh, looking for um, physical uh, memory allocations. Yeah, yeah. So... We're getting the you know your way over time signal. So and before we do, before we actually, finish, I know he looks pretty angry. He, I think he, he wants does. us to stop now. Well, well, so uh, we will make him a bit angrier. And um, I th- he's holding up. I think he's meaning one minute, but it's not using not his index finger. So if I'm not on the next podcast, he got me. But um, I want to mention one last topic, which will carry us on to the next. Um, topic for the next podcast potentially which is board level device initialization and uh, that's where new device drivers or third party device drivers come into play Uh, what happens when um, your custom platform does not have um, any Linux support sure I mean certain devices don't have uh, Linux support and how you can how you can uh, manage that so um, yeah, I'm not sure if this is going to be our next podcast's topic, but it, it's uh, it's a candidate. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, if you have any comments, questions, uh, hate mail, whatever, let us know. <laughs> podcast at timesus.com. And uh, we try to do our best to answer uh, um, messages when we get them. We get uh, actually a, it's a surprising amount of people, right? So, Feel free to write in and you know, let us know what you think and what you'd like us to cover. Be more than happy to, uh, more than happy to take your advice over what you want us to talk about. Yeah, and uh, thank you very much for your time today. And um, talk well, talk to you. Yeah, probably in like two weeks. Right, two be- weeks. right before uh, Christmas, we'll have one more, one more podcast, and then maybe maybe we'll take, maybe we'll take a week off. Maybe no, <laughs> I don't think, so. think they'll let us. Okay, well, thanks okay. a lot. Thanks. This podcast was brought to you by TimeSys. Are you new to embedded Linux? Looking for a way to simplify your next project? The Linux Link service by TimeSys makes it easy to build your custom embedded Linux platform. Go to timesys.com today or call 866-392-4897 to learn more.